Welcome. Thanks for joining us today on The Venture Podcast. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you along your journey. Man, what a great story. What a, what a great opportunity for us to see what God is doing in Mexico. I, I would encourage you. It's one of our key regions. And in all these regions in the world, here's all we mean in that. Those are places where we've seen God move, where we have connection to the missionaries there, to the national leaders there. And in each region and in a region like Mexico, we just want to come alongside as a church and be a part of what God's already doing there. God's leading in Mexico. God's changing lives in Mexico. God's raising up national leaders in Mexico. And as a church, it is such a privilege to come alongside, to learn from them, to support them, to be a part of what God is already doing there. And so I'd encourage you, if this is one of the regions that kind of captures your heart, it's the easiest one to go on a short-term mission trip with. We have several that go through the the year. It's also an easy one to plug in with what God's doing right here in the Bay Area. Uh, you, You saw the team up here earlier. You saw Carlos. Venture in Espanol. And maybe you know someone, someone who's Spanish-speaking that is looking for a church. Maybe they've been disconnected from church. In fact, when you came in, you should have received this card. Pull out this card. You, you probably didn't even look at it. Look on the back and try to read it. If you look on the back of it, you go, wait a second, it's in Spanish. Yes, because this card's not for you. This is your opportunity to partner with what God's doing right here in the Bay Area. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to hold on to this card, put it in your car, Take it home, but start praying right now. God, would you bring somebody across my path who's Spanish speaking? And and give me the opportunity just to invite them to be a part of Venture in Espanol. Because they may not have a church home. They may not be connected. They may be Spanish speaking and raising kids who speak English. Venture in Espanol really partners with families in that. And so I want to go ahead and give you, this is an application point to the message right now. And I'm worried that I might get excited as I'm going and I forget to apply it. So I'm going to give you the application right out of the gate. You got it? Everybody got it there? In fact, why don't we take a moment? Let's pray. Let's pray for what God's doing in Mexico and God's doing right here in the Bay. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the opportunity to be a part of what you're doing. And we just confess that. This whole series, as we look at missions, we look at what you're doing around the world I just pray we'd always start from the place that you're a God who moves. You're a God who who loves people. And you're a God who loves us so much you've invited us to be a part. Lord, I thank you for how you're leading in Mexico. I thank you for the churches that are there. I thank you for the ministries that are happening. I thank you for people from our church who are passionate and they go down. Some of them go down several times a year to be a part of it. I pray that you'd continue to raise up and give us opportunities to minister there. Lord, I thank you for Venture in Espanol and Carlos and his team. I thank you for the ministry that happens all throughout the week that's needed in the Bay. I pray for each of us. Would you open our eyes? Maybe people around us we've never seen before, that, that Spanish is their heart language, and they need to worship in their heart language. Lord, would we invite, would we reach out, Would we be a people who are part of what you're doing right here? And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we are in this series, Neighborhoods to Nations. And it's always interesting this time of year when we do faith promise. This is a key time when we make a commitment as a church. 
And over the next few weeks, we're going to ask you very specifically, what is your commitment so that we can be a part of doing this? And and I would encourage you, though, as well, as we do this, we're connecting with different missionaries and people that are involved. Some of you, you're wired in such a way. It's a smaller group. There's some of you, we could talk about this every week, and you'd be like, yes. But the majority of people here, it's interesting. When I say the word missionary, something happens in your brain. For some, it's kind of an admiration of those afar. For some, it's kind of a, okay, I guess we have to talk about this. It's that time of year. But we end up doing this kind of click, this disconnect between that subject and my life, other than maybe I'll support it and I'm for it. And I think that disconnect is actually causing us to miss out on a core part of life. Not just the core part of what God's doing through missionaries, but literally a core part of our lives that we're missing, that we desperately need. Why do I say that? Well, turn in your Bibles to John chapter 17. John 17. We're going to read through a core text. I'll show you some verses, but you're going to need your Bibles out for it. John 17. If you didn't bring a Bible, there's one right in front of you. It's page 1073. Page 1073. Turn in the text there. And in this text, this is as part of John, where John literally takes a third of the book and slows down in Jesus' life and looks at one week, that week leading into the crucifixion. And specifically, several chapters are on the night before and then the day of the crucifixion. And so John 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 14 through 16, he teaches. He gives us communion. He teaches about the Holy Spirit. He washed the disciples' feet. Uh, Several fundamental things in it. And then 17, he prays. He prays for his disciples, but even more than that, he says in verse 20, I'm not just praying for them, I'm praying for all who will believe that follow them. So he's praying for us. This is a core prayer connected to our lives. Look how Jesus prays for us. Look in starting in verse 13. There's a lot in this prayer, but I just want to look at 13. He says, but now I am coming to you and these things I speak in the world. And notice this line. He he says, I'm praying this, I'm speaking this, I'm doing this, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. A core part of what Jesus was doing and a core indicator that should be in our life is that we actually have his joy fulfilled in us, his joy complete in us. And I want to stop for just a minute because it's a great diagnostic tool. And I've had to do it in my own life. Even this week, I looked at it and go, Would I say that my life really is marked by his joy? Would I say I'm living a joyful life? And and as I say that, not just my life, our life, if people, if you were to pull people on the street today and say, when you describe Christians in America today, what's the first word that comes to your mind? Now, for some people, they've been turned off. They might say judgmental or something with it. I get that. But would people describe us, the church here today, as joyful? Would they go, oh, Christians? Oh, they are the most joyful group. See, we even laugh when we say that, don't we? 
Uh, they might describe us as a little angry. Man, those guys, they get angry. A little defensive. A little afraid. I mean, if you just tracked our social media and other things with it, I don't know that joy would be the first word. And as I look at it, I go, what, what are we missing in that? Now, I know the response you might say is, yeah, but Tim, come on. The world's changed out there. The culture's changed. The world's against us. Jesus knew that. He's way ahead of you. Look at the very next verse. He's praying for us here. Verse 14, I've given them your word and the world's hated them because they're not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. So notice in this, Jesus knew in all time, and remember he's praying this for all of his followers to come. There's a core part of what we believe, what we hold to, that the world will turn against us. And we feel that turn. We feel the turn in the culture in ways. As we stand stronger for truth in ways, as we allow our lives, when he said sanctify them in truth, that means you allow your life to be shaped by his word. The more you do that, let's not live under illusions here. He knows the world will be against that at times. Sometimes very strongly. But notice he doesn't make the joy dependent on that. He doesn't go, have my joy fulfilled in them until it really gets hard. And then they're allowed to have lousy attitudes all the time. No, he goes, I, I want my joy fulfilled. I, I think the disconnect for us is not the culture around, it's what we've been called to do. Well, even when I say that core word missionary, you know where missionary comes from? There's no point in the Bible, you, you won't find a verse where God says, let there be missionaries, and he created this special class of people. It actually comes from the Latin, the Latin word missio. And, and to, it, it, all it means is sent. In fact, you'll see it in the very next verse. I, I want to put it up here. Verse 18, as Jesus is praying, he says, as you sent, in Latin right here, the Latin Bible, missio, me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Now notice the connection here. And, and I think this is absolutely fundamental because as so, as he, so we. As he was sent on a mission, so we have been sent on a mission. In fact, if you look at your notes, kind of three simple implications just from this verse. Look at the first one. We are sent like Jesus was sent. We are a sent people. And, and to make it even clearer, his mission is our mission. His mission is our mission. What he was sent to do, he sent us to do. And going back to that earlier verse when he says, I want the joy to be fulfilled. Here's where I think the disconnect comes in for us though. When we lose the mission, that's when we lose the joy. When we lose the why we're here, we, we, we lose the fruit of that, which is the joy that comes out of it. And, and, and I don't just say that just for us as Christians. It's true in all of life. It's interesting as social scientists study happiness. And it's a topic, I've read just different studies with it. It's interesting in a culture, 
You look across a culture, and especially for a people in a developed world, first world, wealthy nation like ours, a people who have so many means to pursue happiness. They, they call it these spikes that you can have, hedonic happiness, things that you're able to do in life, whether it's sexually, whether it's through wealth, whether it's through vacations, whether it's through experience, that as a culture, people can spike in what they call the happiness scale, but long-term, they don't experience that true core happiness. You know where the core happiness comes? This is so fascinating. When people know why they're here, when their life actually has purpose and meaning. And I think the same thing as Christians, sometimes as the church, when we have so much and we make the pursuit about ourselves, even our pursuit in church, even our pursuit in life, even our pursuit in our growth, even all the good things in life, maybe we're not chasing wrong things, but we've made life about us and my growth and my church and my experience. When you do that, there suddenly becomes this disconnect from the actual joy that Jesus wants you to experience that comes from being on mission with him. Now, when I say that joy, I'm not talking about happy, clappy all the time. I'm not saying your life experience is great all the time. In fact, look at Jesus in Hebrews 12. This is a fascinating verse. We're called to look to Jesus. Why? Because he's the founder and perfecter of our faith. All of our faith starts with him. All of our faith is perfected through him. Our whole growth is. Look at Jesus, though. Look at the example he gives. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Now, did he like the cross? Was it a great experience? No, it was horrible. In fact, in fact, I don't think sometimes we let these words sink in. Despising the shame. He literally hated the shame that was placed on him. The shame of our sins. The shame of that exposure and that torture in this horrific way. He doesn't like that, but, but notice the joy that was set before him. And, and now he's honored by God. He's seated at the right hand of God. See, when I talk about this link between mission and joy, I'm not talking about that somehow if you just do the right things, you're going to be happy all the time. But there is an inherent joy that comes when I know that I'm doing what I was put here to do. Why are we here? We have been sent as he was sent. As he, so we. And when we lose that, when we do that disconnect of, oh yeah, missions, that's those things that those people do, and I've just got my life, and I've got my job, and I've got my family, and I'm just trying to keep my act together. When we settle into that, I think we lose the sense of why we're here and what it's all about. And so I think it would be good for us to just step back and go, well, as he, so we, what was his mission? What were the core parts of it? And where do I learn from it? Look at three things in your notes. It's pretty simple. It's not revolutionary. He's laid it out for us. What are the parts of the mission? Three parts of it. First thing that was his mission was to serve. He came to serve. Look how he puts it in Mark chapter 10. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I mean, at a fundamental level, 
He said, even though he was deserving as the one who sits at the right hand of the Father on the throne, even though he deserves and has the authority that everyone should serve him, his whole mission was, no, I'll go and be a servant. And and so he lived every day, instead of looking at everybody else and going, how can they make my life better? He's looking at it going, how can I serve them? Why? Because I'm on mission. This is what I'm here for. And he constantly has that mindset. And and so for us, if I'm going to learn from him and take that, how do I do that? Let me give you a couple of ways. One, serve the real needs in the church. Serve the real needs that people have. Part of being a church is not coming and it's my experience. It's who do I serve? Who do I give my life away to? Who do I help? In, In real needs, practical needs. It's interesting, this this whole teaching we're looking at in John 17, it came after Jesus showed his disciples how to do this. Remember at the beginning of it, the beginning of the meal, when they got there, someone had to wash the feet. Now, we're so removed from it culturally, when we think of foot washing, if you've grown up in the church, we've kind of turned it almost into this glorious experience. Oh, foot washing, the symbolic thing. There was nothing glorious, nothing symbolic for them. It literally is just a practical function as people who would sit around a table and when they would sit, they didn't have chairs, so they would recline at the table. And as you reclined at the table and you're eating at the table, that meant that someone else's feet were right next to your face. And you got feet that have been walking on dirty roads and they stink and you're about to eat a meal and I got feet right in my face. And they all go and they're getting, they're about to get down around the table and everybody starts looking around awkwardly because they probably couldn't afford a servant. You'd normally have a servant that was there. And that was the servant's job to serve the meal and to wash everybody's feet first. And they start looking around at each other like, all right, who's going to do it? And I'm sure some of the, you know, the the bigger ones, they're kind of looking around eyeballing who's lower on the totem pole here. Hey, Bartholomew, nobody even knows you're a disciple. Come on. Simon the Zealot, the other Simon, you know, the the lower guys that no one knows them. I'm sure they're eyeballing them like, come on, get up, guys. Then Jesus gets up. And he goes around and he washes dirty feet. Because it needed to be done. And and then look what he says to us. Look, Look what he says in it. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. As he, so we. As I do these kind of things, these messy, dirty things, these pain in the rear things, these things that nobody else wants to do, As I do these things, because I've got a mindset, I'm here to serve, not to be served. I'm calling you to do the same thing. Let me ask you, who do you serve? Literally, who do you serve? As he, so we. These are all these principles we love talking about. Oh man, that's a good principle. I'll write that one down. But let's look at your, who'd you serve this last week? Who in a practical way did you serve? I mean, you look on, on a weekend. You know, it's always interesting to me because I'm here all weekend. I get here early. I see. It's always fascinating to me as I come on a weekend when I see the people. I'm not talking about paid staff. I'm just talking volunteers who are here every weekend. 
And some of them show up hours early. Some of them are out in parking lots putting cones out, and they drive around the whole Sunday morning with it. So, so, some of them are here in the ushers team, and they connect, and they get all the materials prepared. We have worship teams. Most of the people you ever see on the stage, they're not staff. The people all in the booths and the tech people, they're all people that have volunteered and they come for hours at a time. You know why they do that? So they can wash your feet. So you and I can have the kind of experience that we come here and we go, man, it was great to worship together. Well, that didn't just happen. There, there are people right now sitting with our children in circles, pouring their lives out to them. People up in middle school. There'll be people in high school at 11 o'clock. I think of, there's a group of men that wash my feet every Tuesday night. There's a group of men that do it. I think of guys like Aaron and Justin and Brett and Tim. Fred, I see Fred sitting down there. He's one of the guys. They wash my feet every Tuesday night. You know how they do it? They don't come over and wash my feet. That'd be kind of weird. But I got four sons who are in small groups on Tuesday night. And man, every Tuesday night, those men show up. And they pour into my boys' lives. I'm telling you, that's serving. That's giving your life away. Because it's never convenient. I can promise you right now, it's not convenient to give up a Tuesday night. There's a lot of things they could do. In fact, the biggest problem they have, I love what Fred's doing, but Fred's got about 19 guys now, 19 middle school eighth graders in his group. And it's just too many people, but there's not enough Fred's. We got a lot of boys who want someone to pour into their life. We don't have as many men. They'll step forward in it. Who are you serving? And, and hear me on this. I don't say this because of the need that's there. I say it because of the need you have. If you would serve, I, I promise this, you'll start experiencing joy in your church that you don't. There's just a connection about doing what Jesus called us to do. We, we serve the real needs. Not only that, we serve the least of these. We serve the least of these. It's not just here. It's not just each other. It's out. It's in the community. It's people who no one else is going to show up for. It's people who have no other resources. It's people who are distressed in life. If you look at Jesus' life, he's constantly in contact with people like that. And, and in fact, he describes it for us. He says in the end times, he uses the parable of this judgment that will come. He says, there's a group of people that have served me. Because they did these tangible things for me. Look how he puts it in Matthew. He says, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you? Or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. I mean, if you just took that category right there, just what he went through. People in the world that are hungry. People in the world that are thirsty, people in the world that are poor, they have no clothing, they have no home. People in the world that are imprisoned, people in the world that have desperate needs with it. That's part of what we do in all these regions. That's part of what we do in our own backyard. How am I helping and serving the least of these? But, but here's, again, these are all principles that we love. Let's get it personal though. When's the last time you served somebody like that? 
When's the last time you actually had a conversation with somebody like that? When's the last time someone like that actually touched your body? They were in contact with you. And here's why I say that. I'm always so convicted when I read through Jesus' story. How many people are grabbing him all the time? How when he went, there was this just almost constant contact. Now, he would break away and spend time alone with his disciples. I'm not saying it was, it was all the time, but it was consistent throughout his life. He put himself in a proximity of the need. And it was part of his life. And he didn't have any illusions. He didn't say like, oh, I've got this new program that's going to solve world hunger. It's going to solve these issues. There was a humility that he went about it. In fact, he said, the poor is always going to be here with you. And and part of it being here with us is there's this constant opportunity as he, so we. Where are you serving? Where are you giving your life away? It it is such a fundamental mindset of how do I turn from making life about me and people doing things for me to my life is about giving it away to others. When you do that click, you'd be amazed the joy that comes with it of being on mission. Look at the second part of being on mission. Second part is to show, to show. Jesus came on mission to show us God, to show what God looks like here, to, to be God with us. In fact, look how John puts it in John chapter one. And the word became flesh and he dwelt among us and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. See, we see the character of God. We see the grace of God. We see the truth of God through him. Jesus was so bold, he'd look at him and say, if you've seen me, you've seen God. And now he sends us out. No, we're not God and never will be, but we go as people who have the spirit of God within us. We go as people who've been changed by God. And so as we go, here's what we should show. First of all, we should show God's character in us. Show God's character in each one of us. I'll go back to that text because I think it is fascinating to me. If you look back in John chapter 17, verse 18 is the verse on mission. Notice how he bookends both sides of that verse. Go back to me. Look at verse 17. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. For their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. And notice what he's saying there. On both sides of this mission of being sent into the world, he says, as they're being sent into the world, here's what needs to happen though. They need to be sanctified. They need to be sanctified. And all that word means is their lives are changed around truth. We, we, We look like him. And so he says, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Use this book to change their lives. In the same way that he is holy, he's calling us to that. And I think this is a fundamental part, and it may be one of the key reasons I think the witness of the church in the United States is taking such a beating, is I don't know that we're accurately showing the character of God in our lives. Because we don't look that different. And and so if you look down through the different ways that we practice our life, you look at our ethics, you look at our marriages, you look at the different parts, there's not this thing that people would go, oh man, that is a people built on truth in it. Now, hear me, you may say, well, are we just supposed to hide it or fake it? No, that's what the Pharisees did and Jesus hated it. He never wants us to fake it. He said, but 
Tim, we're broken people. Where's grace fit in? Absolutely. We need to show the world how God interacts with people who are broken and grace. But, but here's where mission is so important. See, when I even make my growth just about me, when I make my sanctification, my, my life change, if, if I'm the end of it, and here's what that looks like, where I've got sin in my life and I've got things I'm dealing with. And so, man, Lord, I want you to heal me. And I want, I want to be stronger in you and I'm be in your word. All good things. But if the end of it is just me and God, it's very easy for me to just go, oh, I'm still struggling with this, but he's such a gracious God and he'll be patient with me and I'm going to get it together one day. Maybe I won't God, but I'll be in with you in heaven. See, I've made the whole thing about me. Now, now look what happens when I bring mission back in it. Wait, wait a second. It's not just about me, is it? It's not just about my growth. Yeah, I'm a broken person, but God, I need you to change me because this world's looking. God, God, I need you to work here. God, I need to put my shoulder in it. Not because I'm trying to earn something before you. No, because I'm on mission with you. And you actually declared you changed people's lives. And so I want your truth, your word to change my life. So I can show people what you're doing in me. See the difference? See, we show God's character in us. The second part of it is we show God's craftsmanship, though. Not just his character in you, but also his craftsmanship of you. How he made you. How, how you are distinct in this world. You know, Ephesians 2 is one of the greatest passages because it talks about what God's done in us. And we, we often quote Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is a gift of God. It's not based on works, it's a gift of God. Love that verse. I have absolutely been saved because of the grace of God. It's because I put my faith in Him. But a lot of times we stop there. We go, oh man, great. I'm so glad I've been saved by grace through faith. We leave out the next verse. Verse 10 tells us why. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That, that, that word workmanship, you're his craftsmanship. You are uniquely made. And here's the mind-blowing part. God prepared beforehand. This word actually refers to eternity past. Before there was an eternity, before any of us existed, he was thinking about you. He was crafting you. He was making you. He gave you unique gifts. He gave you unique abilities. He gave you unique ways of, of showing his glory to the world. And it comes through your passions. And it comes through your work. And it comes through what you are meant to do. Whether you're an artist or a scientist or an engineer. Whether your mind is one that explores or one that creates in that. He crafted you uniquely that you can show the world his glory through you. And so you should be doing it as you were wired to do. You should go on mission as you were wired to do. I've got a good friend of mine. He, he finally, one day he, he said, I, the whole short-term mission thing. He said, I just can't do it. I said, what do you mean? I love short-term trips. He goes, I don't like holding babies and I'm terrible at digging ditches. One wise put on the planet. I said, you know, there's some other short-term trips with that, but here's what he is great at. He's great at business. I mean, great at it built huge companies. So he went into Africa and he partnered with a third world country and partnered with the leadership there and found a cash crop that was being controlled by two businesses that had a monopoly on it. He used his wealth, used his business, bought 20% of that industry in the country. 
company, broke the monopoly on it, raised the wages for all the farmers, spread from that nation to other countries around the world, built a company, huge company with it, that last count has raised the livelihood, raised the, the, the way of living for tens of millions of people around the world. And as he does it, he hires young people to work in his company so he can disciple them. Because that's how he was wired. See, that's using his craftsmanship for God's glory. What about you? Have you ever even thought about your life in that way? Have you ever thought about it here in this way? Thought about why God may have brought you here? Why you live in the Bay Area? You've know, got a friend in the church, Aaron Anderson, works for a high-tech company. And Aaron loves what God's doing around the world. He's been to Mexico on a trip and India. But God is uniquely using him here. And part of that was embracing the mission of why five years ago, God uprooted their family and said, hey, you ought to leave the East Coast and come to the Bay. In fact, I want you to listen to him as he tells his story. So my name is Aaron Anderson. I'm originally from uh, Omaha, Nebraska. I'm an accountant and I've spent uh, pretty much the bulk of my career in, in the finance profession. About five years ago, we were um, really struggling with where we felt God wanted us to be. We had been on the East Coast for about 10 years in the same house for about 10 years. You know, we started getting different opportunities. There was an opportunity that came up in the Bay Area. Now, of course, initially we thought, no way. But the more we prayed about it, talked about it, we, were get, we got a really um, strong uh, feeling that this is exactly where God wanted us. Um, we uh, felt so compelled that we, we made the move, but uh, at the time we really asked ourselves, why? Like we, we, we knew what, we knew that God wanted us out here, but we didn't really know why. Uh, it was really about uh, trying to be obedient uh, to what we felt called to do. One of the things, though, that I observed very quickly, and, and something that was new for me, was really how um, in the Bay Area there just isn't a lot of knowledge about God. As is, is normal in our world, we, we have tight deadlines, and, and you get a room full of people, and, and, and you try to meet those deadlines. Well, one of those times happened to be around Easter and around Good Friday. And it was Friday. We're all in a you know, a bunch of people in a conference room, probably from, you know, 10 different countries uh, represented that conference room, happened to be leading the, the, uh, the activity that we were going through and looking at my watch going, oh my gosh, Good Friday service is coming up. I really need to, you know, get going. And I realized, as I said, you know, team, I, I, I really got to go. And the question was, well, why? Where are you going on a Friday at, at, at this time? And it was like, well, it's, you know, Easter, it's Good Friday. And, and really looking at, at a room full of people looking at me saying, well, what is that? Um, and as I started sharing, you know, Good Friday is, you know, the day that, that uh, Jesus died. And it literally was a room full of people asking me, who rose from the dead? What do you mean? I've never heard this. And so just sharing those historical facts uh, in that setting was a great opportunity for me, you know, to share. But it also was a big realization to me that there's just an unawareness of, of again, the historical events that have taken place in, in history and that are documented and that it's what an opportunity to share those events uh, factually uh, with people in work. So from those observations I had in that conference room on Good Friday, it really you know, opened my uh, aperture to, to really thinking much, uh, much bigger and, and broader about 
you know, being on mission, you know, at the workplace. So five years ago, the question for us was, God, why did you want us in the Bay Area? Um, we felt called, but we didn't know why. Uh, five years later, I think we can clearly see that God has a plan, that there's a reason we're out here, um, that our, our mission field is not just in Mexico or in India or other places. Our, our mission field is here in the Bay Area. And the question for us, and every one of us have to ask ourselves, is are we actually gonna go on mission where God has placed us and not where we think we should be placed? Isn't that great? Yes. And all of us get to go on that mission. Yeah, that, that is such a good word in it. Here's how we go on mission. As he, so we. As he came to serve, we serve. As he came to show who God is, we show through our lives and through how he made us. And there's a final thing that he came, and you can't miss this one. He came to save, guys. He came to save. He came with a message that no one else brought. He came to do what no one else could do. And, and he says it, I love how he says it, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Uh, notice there's two sides to it. He's seeking. And I think part of it, our mission with that, if, we're gonna, if our mission is to be his mission, we need to seek out people who are far from God. We need to actually be looking for them. Not just passively waiting, eyes open, looking around going, seeking. And again, I think we look in the Bay Area and we go, oh man, the Bay Area is so unchurched, the Bay Area is so lost. that We, we almost get intimidated by that. And, and we just assume, well, nobody wants to hear it here. It's like the two guys that were sent from the same shoe company to a third world country. And the one guy wrote back, he said, you've sent me to the worst place. Nobody has shoes here. They don't wear shoes here. I'll never make a sale. Second guy wrote back and he goes, you sent me to the best place. Nobody has shoes here. They all need them. This is going to be awesome. It's all about perspective. And part of Jesus' perspective is he always was under the assumption, well, there's somebody around here. They want to know. They want to hear. I can engage them. And, and he never wasted opportunities. He, he approached it different ways. It wasn't like every person he came and rammed it down their throat. Some of them he spoke in parables. It was kind of not clear. Some of them he would engage in different ways. But he, he was always purposeful. And so when he's got his night off and the day's done and he's sitting up on the rooftop and it's his time to relax and this Pharisee named Nicodemus wants to come talk to him. Notice what Jesus doesn't do. He doesn't go, oh man, can you see me during daytime hours? I just need a little downtime. He said, no, come on, let's talk. Because you think you have your life together. You need to get bored again. He confronts him pretty hard. That guy needs to be confronted. Very next chapter, what's he doing? He's resting on a well up in Samaria. And there's a woman that's there. And he starts very gently with her. Hey, could I have a drink of water? Totally different approach, but a very purposeful conversation. When he's walking down the road and he sees a guy in the tree, hey, Zacchaeus, come on, we're going to your house. Let's go have lunch. We got to deal with some stuff. You, you look at all the different people. Jesus was actually looking for the opportunities. What about you and me? Are we seeking? Are we just kind of passively waiting, hoping they come around? We're, we're called to seek, and then the second part of it, you have to share. We, we have to share the good news. We have to share, especially here in the Bay Area. There are people all over the Bay Area, they don't know what Good Friday stands for. They don't know what the message is about. 
They don't know why we go to church. They don't know the story behind it. And, and they're coming from all over the world. And remember what we said, what happens here shapes the world. It, it, it shapes the planet. In fact, I got an email this week from a leader in our church. And he said, yeah, I was me meeting with some of the ministry leaders in India. And you, you know, we do fundamental work in India and we, we pour resources in that. He says, I was meeting with them this week. He says, a, a, a movement's happened in India. The new prime minister that was elected is very nationalistic, very strong Hindu, and they're driving out Christians and driving out Christian ministries because of it. Now, here's the interesting part. These leaders from India, they said, you know how he was elected? Because he was able to raise a lot of money in Silicon Valley. From Indians who moved here and are working in high-tech companies, and while they were here, the temples in Silicon Valley reached out to them, and some of them began to attend Hindu temples for the first time in their life. They weren't converted when they lived in India. They got converted here. And then they take the money here to send it there. Here were the Christian leaders in India. You know what they said to them? They said, we love the work you guys do in our country, but if you could do anything, could you reach Indians in the Bay Area? That would have a fundamental impact in what God's doing. See, what happens here, it shapes the world. So what are we called to do here? It's real simple. As he, so we. In fact, if you look on the back of your notes, I put the four boxes back again. If you were here a couple of weeks ago, I asked you to put four names in those boxes. I asked you to think about people that you go, who am I on mission with? Who has God put in my life? And if you didn't fill it out before, I'm not going to just forget it. Fill it out this time and start praying through it this time. And now start praying strategically. As you look at those names in it, you go, okay, Lord, would you give me a way I could serve them tangibly? What's something I could do? Maybe it's a neighbor I help out at their house. Maybe it's a coworker that I help with a project that they'd look at and go, why are you helping me? Because this is what we do. We serve as Christians. Would you give me a way to show them? And maybe there's part of my life that I go, you know what? I'm really not showing your character well there. Would you give me a way to share? Would you open up the door for a conversation? And I'm going to start seeking that out as I look around. As he, so we. Let's pray. We hope today's message encouraged you in your journey of faith. To keep up with the latest messages and what's happening, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit venture.cc.